You're listening to a CNA podcast. A sound that triggers concern if you're a parent or perhaps irritation in some. Teresa Tang here, host of the CNA Correspondent Podcast. When I'm not working on these episodes, a lot of my time involves taking care of my two young kids. So that is a sound I'm really familiar with. And it's also a sound the Chinese government wishes it heard more of. Asia's largest economy also saw another year of population decline, despite government efforts to boost a flagging birth rate and to stave off a demographic. China has long been home to the largest population in the world, but that's changing. In 2023, the population shrunk for a second straight year and at a steeper rate than the year before. So why is this a big deal? Well, it's all connected to the economy. Let's get into that and other issues facing Beijing with China correspondents Olivia Xiong and Loman Min. Hey guys. Hi, Teresa. Hey. You know, I have to admit, I actually don't really mind the sound of crying babies now as much as I did before I had kids. I actually think it's kind of cute. Um, what about you? How much does it irk you, Olivia? Did you not think it was cute before? <laughs> no, I hated it before. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it really irked me, but you know, when you're on the plane yes. and if there's a crying baby and having friends who have young kids, I'll always be sure to, you know, <laughs> give them a sympathetic look when they're trying to calm their child down. I know it must be tough for them. I, and I also pray that it doesn't go on for too long. No, the same. The first thing I thought of was the plane. But I would like to have my own crying baby one day. Still looking for the husband. <laughs> okay. So, Olivia, you know, China, they lifted its one-child policy back in 2015 and then in 2021 removed all limits and instead they offered financial incentives to spur the birth rate in the country. But if we look at the numbers, they tell us a very different story. Very clearly, couples in China, they're not having as many kids as the government would like. Many not having kids at all. Why not? What's the hang-up here? I think there have been several studies done. One of the top things that couples talk about is really the cost of raising a child in China. Parents go to great extremes to give the best to their child, whether it's buying a home near a good school or enrolling in educational extracurricular classes just to give them a leg up over the rest of the other kids. Uh, Childcare costs are another concern as well. And then the parents, those of childbearing age, they are part of this sandwich generation. Many of them are the only child in their families because of the one-child policy that China had put in place. And so uh, they're really facing the pressures of having to support young children as well as seniors in their family as well. And that has really become a burden for them. And the concern also for women is um, potentially what happens to their career if they do decide to have children. Yeah, to add to what Olivia had said, another factor is that young people in China are getting more and more educated and that opens up new options for them in life so they don't actually have to go through the traditional route of getting married and having a combined income. So mm. in fact, when I spoke to a matchmaker for a story, she told me that most of the clients that are the hardest to match are the ones that are the most educated because they had spent so much energy prioritizing <laughs> their career and success 
that they kind of neglected and missed this window for dating and having a relationship. So have a listen to this woman. She's a 37-year-old HR executive looking for a partner. I asked her what she was looking for. The monthly salary must be more than mine. At the very least, he must own a house and a car, and I think he needs to look good. He must have a nice personality and can't be too short. At first glance, perhaps physical appearance is still a consideration. Okay, that is quite the list. Min Min, for authorities, though, it really just boils down to the economy, right? I mean, if you have a shrinking population, it means fewer people buying things, fewer people supporting that aging segment of society. Just how bad is it in China? Yeah, demographic is definitely a very important factor that shapes the economy. So for many years, China's huge population has given it what economists call the demographic dividend. So this means that it has abundant labor at cheap prices, which was what allowed China to turn into this manufacturing powerhouse and essentially the factory of the world. But as its population shrinks, a number of problems happen. First, there is increased debt burden for the fewer working people supporting the growing number of elderly. So there are concerns about whether the government pension is sustainable enough to support the needs of society. And then as labor becomes more expensive, China may lose this demographic dividend to other emerging economies like Vietnam or India, for instance, where labor is a fraction of the price. And already we're seeing factories relocating to cheaper locations offshore. Olivia, this recent population decline also has COVID-19 fingerprints all over it. That pandemic really didn't help things. Yeah, we know that China saw a record low birth rate back in 2023, but its death rate also rose 6.6%, which is the highest level since 1974 during the Cultural Revolution. Now, thinking back to the context of this, if you recall, China abruptly dropped its zero-COVID policy, its stringent containment measures back at the end of 2022 in December. And this led to the virus spreading through the population in the early part of 2023, where there was also a wave of COVID-related mm-hmm. deaths. But observers also note that even though there were a high number of deaths last year and that didn't help things with the population numbers, we also have to note that an aging population and falling birth rate is a common trend that we have seen in many other Asian countries, Japan, South Korea, even Singapore. And these countries have not been able so far to reverse that trend or to get people to have more children. And so it's really going to be a challenge for the Chinese government to see how it can encourage its population to have more kids and not have an impact on its economy. So you've lived in Beijing for a few years now, Olivia, as a correspondent, and you've made a lot of friends of childbearing age, if I can put it that way. Does this topic of having kids ever come up in your chats with them? I'm wondering, are they worried about the future? I think it does come up now and then, also given my age, I also do face questions. Are you married? When are you having kids? Are your parents worried? I think it's pretty common and people are very open to talking about it, actually. But talking to not just friends, but also people that we interview, young people, I think marriage and having children is a very considered 
and carefully calibrated mm -hmm. decision. Yes. Because who you decide to marry, where are they from, which hometown they are from, affects your hukou, which is a very restrictive policy, and that affects where you can buy a house, where your child goes to school. All that matters, and you want to give your child the best start in life. Parents also talk about with education reforms in the country, trying to reduce the stress burden on children, that has put more pressure on parents. And if they are working, they don't have much time to monitor their child's homework or make sure that they are getting their math right. And it's difficult for them. But on the flip side though, you know, traveling around China, I've also been to smaller cities or rural mm -hmm. areas and spoken to young people there, not just for work, but on vacation or in my own time as well. And some people there really still do feel that getting married and having children is something that they really aspire uh, towards and something that they want. They feel that it's something that will give them meaning in life and bring them happiness. And there is this whole spectrum of views. And now perhaps the bigger question is, given these changing aspirations, and especially in the bigger cities, perhaps as people aspire to career more than family, how big of a difference it will make in shaking up the population makeup in, in China. Uh, earlier, Olivia touched on how couples don't want kids because it means shouldering more responsibility given they have parents to take care of, right? The sandwich generation. Uh, so, Min Min, what is the answer? It seems really tough if you think about it. How are policymakers dealing with this problem? Well, interestingly, the Chinese president, Xi Jinping, he said that women have a critical role to play and must establish, quote, a new trend of family. His comments were published in on state media in October, uh, and he urged the All-China Women's Federation, which is a government-led organization, to, quote, actively cultivate a new marriage and childbirth culture, strengthen guidance on young people's views of marriage, parenthood and family, and promote policies to support childbirth. So you can imagine that this was rather controversial at the time. Uh, it kicked up some reactions from feminists saying that this is a step backwards when it comes to women's rights. Um, Policy-wise, we've seen China loosen the population policies from the one-child policy to two-child in uh, 2016 to three-child in 2021. We've also seen some provinces loosening the rules, such as making it easier for unmarried women to access fertility services, for instance, and removing barriers for children mm. born out of wedlock to get a household registration. Um, I think if I remember, there was even uh, one locality that tried to step in to help with matchmaking or provide incentives uh, for that. Um, <laughs> but the problem is that um, economists have been saying that population shrinkage is a very, very hard thing to reverse, not just in China, but in many other economies as well. So these policies just aren't enough to encourage more mothers to give birth. If I may just jump in, there was an interesting article I was reading which actually did say that uh, several major Chinese cities have seen an increase in marriage rates uh, last year, including Shanghai and the eastern Jiangsu province. Mm -hmm. But uh, the report said that this was due to, you know, post-pandemic demand <laughs> and <laughs> migration of young people to these areas. But, you know, sustaining this in the new year and down the road could still be an issue. 
Min Min, you and Olivia, you're both gearing up for China's most important political meetings of the year. They're known as the Lianghui, or two sessions. They're just around the corner. Uh, and I'm wondering, you know, how likely is how to make more babies going to be on the agenda? Yeah, I think it's hard to say what and whether the government will give some policy signals to encourage childbirth at the two sessions. Partly because I think this agenda, it was very important one or two years ago, but I feel that this year, this agenda gender may likely be overshadowed by other more urgent priorities that need to be fixed in the economy right now, such as the mm-hmm. ongoing property crisis, sustained weakness in consumer confidence, and also very, very low investors' confidence that we've been seeing. Plus also the challenge of keeping youth employed as we see another record batch of graduates enter the market this year. And Olivia, this is also going to be the first meetings since the new leadership took over, right? Yeah, it's been one year since the government reshuffle and the new leadership had been put in place. And so in this one year, like Min Min said, the economy has really been its biggest priority given all the challenges that it's facing. And so likely in focus, that will be the issue. And the government will want to show that it is calibrating and it's hearing the pain points that people are talking about with their livelihoods and jobs. So that is likely to be in focus. Another thing though is given that this is going to be uh, one of the first few sessions that are taking place really past uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. We will be looking to see how much access we get at these political meetings. In the past, it was really a chance for journalists to get a glimpse into the really opaque nature of Chinese politics, to witness interactions, Mm -hmm. provincial level discussions, post questions at news conferences, in person, be in the same room as the Chinese leadership. And hopefully we will get more access this year and be able to cover this in a much more in-depth and open way. And perhaps even see how much of this population discussion filters through in the provincial level discussions even. Yeah, exactly. Three months ago, Olivia, you and I, we recorded an episode of this podcast. One of my favorites, might I add. We were asking why some of China's senior politicians just seem to be disappearing. And if you haven't heard it, you really should. Just head to cna.asia, little plug there. Do you think they're going to address this personnel mystery during these meetings? It is hard to say because it is the elephant in the room, isn't it? The removal of then Foreign Minister Qin Gang and Defence Minister Li Shangfu was done without any public explanation, even till this mm-hmm. day. And there's still much speculation as to what led to this, their whereabouts, or whether they are under some sort of investigation. But since then, China has been keen to get back to business as usual. And while the two former leaders were part of the state council and legislature, one observer did tell me that there may be more clues instead from the anticipated party plenum, as both were also part of the party's central committee. So this may be an issue for them rather than this yearly big gathering, this annual event. And so perhaps we may not see huge big statements volunteered by the Chinese leadership, though it remains to be seen whether they will take any questions from the media on it. There is always a meet the press session with China's foreign minister and China's premier. It really remains to be seen whether the leadership will be keen to address this. 
Yeah, we'll be watching for that. Uh, Min Min, how important are these two sessions for the average Chinese person on the street? We cover it extensively, of course, because of the political implications. But do ordinary people even care? Often when I talk to ordinary people, they don't really think about what's happening at the two sessions, which takes place in Beijing in the Great Hall of the People, which is this building that ordinary people don't normally enter. It's very far away from their lives. And partly also because there isn't this sense that they will be able to directly shape what the political leaders will be discussing. They care a lot about their everyday bread and butter issues. They care about certain deep-seated issues that they may have nationalistic feelings over, such as sovereignty over Taiwan. But by and large, most people, they probably don't quite actually know what happens during the two sessions, <laughs> nor do they follow the proceedings very closely. If you go out on the streets and just grab some people to talk to them, that's what they might say. Yeah, I think quite often when we go out to do the interviews, you'll be like, oh, something's happening. <laughs> or... But then when you dig a bit deeper and you ask them what they are concerned about, everyone has something they're worried about, whether it's childcare, education, retirement, everyone has an issue they're concerned about. And I think that's something that the Chinese leadership is aware of and observers say that very much the messaging will be catered to the domestic audience as China is in some ways becoming more inward looking. Mm. They know that they have issues to address and how they can address the challenges that ordinary people are facing. And it has become very urgent. Of course, the international audience is still important. So when it comes to China-US relations or geopolitics, there will certainly be mention of that. But primarily the focus of these political meetings is really to see how China's leadership charts out its policy direction for the year ahead and all eyes really will be on it given the state of the economy and concerns from many around the world. Lots to look out for and you guys are going to be very busy. Looking forward to your reports covering these sessions. I'll be watching to see how prominently that population problem features as well. Thank you very much ladies. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you. Find Olivia and Min Min's stories on CNA's YouTube channel and cna.asia. And a reminder that the TV episodes of CNA Correspondent air every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. The team behind this week's episode is Saya Wynn, Clara Ong, Crispina Robert, Craig Dale, and me, Teresa Tang. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>